listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show today. This is going to be an interesting, and even I'd call it a special episode, because it's going to be for those only in the legal industry and those lawyers and law firms that were involved in moving people to another firm. Our guest today is Tina Solis. Now, Tina is a partner with Nixon Peabody. She advises businesses on issues involving trade secrets, unfair competition, and complex commercial litigation, but she also counsels lawyers and law firms on professional responsibility issues, especially when it relates to a partner moving to another firm. So if you're in that business on a very granular level, we're going to get into some details that you'll find interesting. If you're not in that industry, it might not be helpful for you, just to give you a heads up. So during this episode, we're talking about the pitfalls of making a move and mistakes to avoid when considering a move. And I hope this gives you some value. If you're in the business of moving people to another firm in legal, this is going to be a helpful episode for you. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Tina Solis today. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a special episode and a special guest today. We're talking with Tina Solis, and our topic title is Mistakes to Avoid When Considering a Lateral Move. Tina, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. Great to be here. Yeah, so this is going to be kind of a lawyer-only episode of our show talking about all those bad things that can happen when an attorney goes from one firm to another firm. And that's your area of specialization. And kind of before we go into the details here, what do you think should be top of mind when a prospective lateral partner is ready to make that move and start talking with other firms? So I think top of mind, in addition to working with an experienced recruiter, which I obviously always recommend, mm-hmm. I think the first thing that's top of mind is know what the operative agreement is that you're working under, be that the partnership agreement, some firms have shareholder agreements, some attorneys have a separate employment agreement in addition mm-hmm. to a partnership agreement, oh, wow. that's know interesting. what your operative documents are. Right and be familiar with the provisions in in those agreements. That's you, top of mind. Yeah. Do you and think then, it ever raises red flags if they can't find it, that they have to ask for that? What have you seen? So I will tell you, that's a great question, Scott, because typically no one knows where their operative document is. Right. And you know, when they call me, the first thing I say is, we've got to find that document because we need to know what it says, because we have to look at the interplay between the documents and the ethical rules in the jurisdiction in which you're licensed and practicing. And so do I think it's unique that they may not know where it is? No. And some firms, you know, guard that pretty carefully. But typically, oftentimes you can find it on the firm's intranet. And oftentimes if partners look for it, they have it. They just haven't read it in years and years and years. Yeah, right, right. Okay, good. That's good. So that's, that's where we start with step one. Read the operative agreement. And that's something I've even told the partners that I work with. Read that, dust it off, find out what it says. What are some of the things they should be looking for in that agreement, Tina? Sure. So 
couple of things that come to mind, especially in today's day and age, is number one, is there a clawback provision mm-hmm. in that agreement? And what do I mean by clawback? Right. They're coming in various forms these days. It could be a clawback that if you received a discretionary bonus and you're thinking about leaving in a certain period of time, are you going to have to pay back that bonus to the firm? Right. Another variant of a clawback is if you are an equity partner and you're receiving distributions, are those distributions something that may be clawed back? And then that becomes very important in working not only with my client who's doing the move, but also their recruiter to make sure that we are timing the process out in a way Mm -hmm. that is most beneficial to the candidate. Mm -hmm. So that's something to be looking for. You know, other things that are important. Is there a confidentiality provision in there? What types of information can and cannot be disclosed? And that isn't always set forth in the agreement. That's when the ethical rules come into play. And that's where I think I can provide value add to the situation. Right. Interesting. So tell me about that then. After this partner reads his or her operative agreement, what's the next thing that they should keep top of mind? What's the next pitfall they should try to avoid in moving? Sure. So I think after they've read the operative agreement and they're working with a recruiter and they've called ethics counsel, I think the next thing that they should be thinking about and speaking to counsel about is, is this a solo move? Are are they moving by themselves? Or is there a potential that they may be going with other partners? You know, long-term, are they thinking maybe associates will join? Because then that raises a whole host of issues of who can they speak with when they're thinking about a move and who can't they speak with? And again, you know, A lateral candidate has fiduciary obligations to his or her firm and his or her partners. And so those are critical areas to be considering and certainly something that you want to avoid making a mistake on because it can be a difficult bell to unring. So what's crazy that way? Tell me about that unrung bell. What have you seen? What's a situation where you've seen this happen and there's real teeth involved in the consequence? So, you know, one of the things that people always ask me is, can I speak to associates? I get that question all the time. And it's a great question because the answer is, and there's always state variants, Mm -hmm. but the general rule is you cannot speak to associates until after you have left the firm. Mm-hmm. That would be a violation of your fiduciary obligations. Now, like I said, there's state variances. Some states do allow it, but the vast majority do not. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly not a mistake that you want to make because if you speak to an associate and then you announce your resignation and the firm knows that you work closely with that associate, management could come talk to that associate and it puts the associate in a really bad spot. Mm-hmm. Other questions that I always get is, what about a counsel? Is counsel considered a partner and or an associate? And I will tell you, counsel, for the most part, are considered to be associates and not someone that should be spoken to during the process. Whereas if you're an income partner or equity partner, there's not typically a distinction there. And so you are allowed to speak to partners okay. when considering a move. 
So have you seen partners talk to associates? And if so, how did their firm respond? What are some examples of that, Tina? I will tell you, thankfully, none of my clients have done that because they listen to my advice. But I have seen situations and read about situations where associates were contacted. And I will tell you, there can be serious ramifications from the firm. And, you know, if the firm thinks that a departing lateral candidate has breached his or her fiduciary obligations and they're an equity partner, one of the potential consequences is they hold back the capital with regard to that breach. And so, you know, these these are serious issues when you're considering a move. And it's why you need to work with someone who is experienced in terms of these issues and, and work with a recruiter because, While recruiters can't practice law, they can oftentimes issue spot and help guide a candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Because people just don't know what they don't know. They've never been through it before. They don't know what the right thing is to do and all that. So talk then about pitfalls related to telling clients. When a partner goes to another firm, what is appropriate? What isn't? I've had some people that say, yeah, my client was my best man at my wedding. And he actually asked me to find another firm. What have you seen in that regard? I've seen things all across the board. And you're absolutely right, Scott. I mean, a lot of attorneys' clients are their best friends. And, you know, sometimes they say, well, my, you know, my best friend knows I'm not happy at the firm. Can I tell them? And this is one of the golden rules that I always say, there is no pre-resignation solicitation absent exigent circumstances. That is the golden rule that we do not want to violate because it would be a breach of fiduciary duty to solicit clients before you leave, unless there are exigent circumstances. And what do I mean by exigent circumstances? A couple of different scenarios that I can give you. Let's say you have an offer, you've accepted the offer, and you are planning on telling your firm the following week. And let's start with the corporate folks first. You're planning on giving notice next week and your corporate individual, and you know there's going to be a deal closing. Uh uh Obviously, you also have a fiduciary obligation, not only to your firm and your partners, but also to your client. And that obligation to the client takes precedent and priority. And therefore, if it's a situation where it may hinder the closing of the deal, that's an exigent circumstance where you may need to tell the client first. Same thing for a litigator. You're contemplating giving notice next week and it's Friday afternoon and your client calls and says, I've got a temporary restraining order where we need to file it at the beginning of next week along with a complaint. That may be a situation in which situation. But again, these are highly factually specific inquiries and always best to seek guidance on that because talking to clients before you announce to the firm is, you know, the golden rule and and can be a very sticky situation if you don't handle it correctly. Yeah, absolutely right. So if you had your clients, they reach out to you and the examples you gave, they actually, and then you tell them what to say and how to handle that. Is that right? That's correct. And you name it. And I've, I've seen it, you know, I've dealt with situations where I get questions, not only about who can I speak with when I'm considering a move and when can I tell the clients, But, you know, I have a situation, I teach a class at a university 
and my syllabus is on my work computer. What types of things can I take with me? Can I take that syllabus with me? You name it, and I, I've sort of seen it. You know, I've dealt with situations where firms were dissolving, and we had to deal with that. I've dealt with lawyers who have long-term illnesses, and right. they may need to go on a sabbatical. They may, for various reasons, need to make a move to a different firm for a more work-life balance. So there's a whole myriad of issues. And, and when I say there's not much that I haven't seen in the last 20 plus years of doing this work, I think that's an accurate statement. Right. So tell me then about client retention. What are the firms trying to do to keep clients and have what can a partner do to really stay above board and not have any sort of appearance of impropriety in that regard? No, fantastic question. And when you look to ABA opinion 489 that came out in December of 2019, while that is not binding on anyone, it's only guidance, that opinion talks about once an attorney has given notice of their intent to withdraw from the firm, that a joint letter should be sent out to clients between the departing attorney and the law firm. And it's a letter that's signed by both the attorney and a representative of the law firm, goes to all the clients that the attorney who's leaving represents, and basically gives the client three options. You can stay at the current firm, you can join the departing attorney at the new firm, or you can hire a third law firm in general to handle the matters. And then the letter also says, of course, you could mix and match, right? So maybe some files you want to keep at the current firm and other files you want to go with the departing attorney. But that is the guidance from the model rules. And that's what I always recommend how it be handled, because that way no one is getting a jump start. The firm isn't getting a head start on contacting the clients, nor is the departing attorney. And that's really best practices. I see. Okay. So let's say the partner accepts the offer he or she is turning in notice this Friday. And I've seen it before where, I mean, I remember this, the first time I ever heard this, that the candidate gave his notice Friday morning at nine. By 10, the truck was there to pick up the documents and security was escorting him out of the office. And, and I mean, it was quick. It was really quick. What usually happens in that situation? So first of all, I know that how disconcerting that is because it's happened to a couple of clients that I've represented, but in some ways that's a blessing in disguise yeah. because if you are asked to leave and released almost immediately, that means you can start working at the new firm immediately and start competing. So if you give notice and your current firm says, we're releasing you effective immediately and you're being escorted out. One of the things that I always work with my clients on during their departure process is let's make sure that we've reached out to the new firm as well and that the new firm is ready. As soon as you've signed that offer letter and they've had the vote, the new firm is ready to accept you. So there is no gap in practicing. So in a situation like that, Scott, hopefully your candidate was able to go over to the new firm and they were ready for him or her. And once they're at the new firm, they can compete. There's no restrictions on competition at that point, And they can immediately reach out to the clients. That's great. Okay, good. So when a partner's leaving their last day, they're with their current firm. 
they know that that's their last day. They shouldn't be calling their clients and giving them a heads up on the phone. Is that right? So in a situation where a letter hasn't been sent out yet, you know, after the firm is notified, Mm-hmm. The departing attorney has to have access to continue to service the client's needs. But part of that is under ABA 489 in the guidance. If the firm doesn't want to send out the letter jointly, the guidance states that the departing attorney has an obligation to still send that letter out unilaterally to clients. Okay. So if the firm doesn't agree to do it jointly, the attorney has the option to send that letter out unilaterally. So once that letter goes out, either jointly or unilaterally, as soon as the clients receive that letter, they're usually making their decisions, checking the appropriate box in that letter, right? Right. I want it to go with the departing attorney or I want the files to stay here. And that's how the process works. So you don't typically have a situation where the departing attorney needs to call the clients because a letter has already gone out either jointly or unilaterally. And as soon as the letter goes out, inevitably what happens is the clients start calling the departing attorney and saying, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. Right. right. Tell me a little bit about where you're going and and how this is all going to play out. So that's usually what happens. Okay, that's great. And so is this letter, is this actually being physically sent out via U.S. mail, that and email also? What usually happens? Email, because email is much faster and it's easier in today's day and age. When I first started doing this work, yes, it was sent out via mail. That shows you how long I've been doing it. But now <laughs> you, you send the letter out via email to all of the clients. And so the responses are pretty quick. Okay, that's great. So let me ask you this, and kind of the final area I wanted to talk about was the capital contribution. What should a partner keep in mind so that they can maximize the likelihood of getting that back in full as soon as they can? So great question. And and it's something that's extremely important because the last few years, firms have had a tendency to make more of an issue about returning the capital than they have previously. So the first thing that a, a departing attorney can do is reach out, get guidance on what the fiduciary obligations are and make sure that you're meeting those and that you're following the ethical rules. Mm -hmm. Because the best way to ensure that that capital comes back at 100% and in a timely fashion is to leave in the right way, right? That's always the best thing to do. So get guidance on that. And then secondly, it goes back to the sort of the very first point that we talked about, which is know the provisions in your agreement. You know, whether or not that capital is paid back 60 days after you leave Mm -hmm. Or is it paid back in quarterly equal installments over a period of a year or four years? Know what the terms of the agreement are. And like I said, follow the rules. That's the best way to get that capital back. That's good. I remember one candidate left and we got, I didn't place him in his new firm, but we got to be pals through the process before. And we're talking recently and he gave me some referrals at his old firm. Well, can I mention your name? He said, no, not yet, because I haven't gotten all my cap contribution back. And I don't want to have any reason for them not to not to give that to me, which I thought was pretty smart for him to consider. No, I, I think that's very smart. And you know, I will tell you, I've seen I've seen return payments span as long as seven years. Wow. 
So the firms are really all over the board in how quickly, I mean, I've also seen some firms, they do a lump sum payment 60 days after the departure. Yeah. So again, you know, you really have to be very mindful of what your agreement provides because you can have vastly different time periods that you can be dealing with in terms of getting that capital back. Yeah, absolutely right, Tina. This is a lot for people to keep in mind and very important. And if we could kind of summarize this, or maybe let's say three action steps, a partner's thinking about moving, what what would be three action steps this person should take to really, really mitigate any potential risk in their move? So I think the three action steps are sort of what we started out with. Number one, know your operative documents or at a minimum, know where they are. So you can quickly get your hands on them. Number two, you know, obviously self-serving statement, but I think it's the right one. Hire counsel that is familiar with the ethical and professional obligations that a departing attorney has because he or she can guide the candidate through the process and make sure that they do it in a fashion that gets all of their capital back, gets out smoothly, preserves relationships. Because what I always say is, you know, and I think this is important. There may be conflict work that you want to send to your old firm. There may be work they want to send to you. Let's not burn any bridges because mm-hmm. it is a small legal community. And so besides those two steps, number three, I would also say work with an experienced recruiter. And I would say that in all seriousness because they provide valuable insight into things that I don't know about. And I think that it makes the move a lot easier for folks. We talked about this. Attorneys don't like change. Right. They're conservative by nature. And so much like if you were a corporate M&A attorney, you wouldn't do a billion dollar deal if you were in the corporate world without good counsel. A smart attorney who was considering a move shouldn't do it without a great recruiter and ethics counsel by his or her side. That's great, Tina. I want to thank you for being on the show and just giving such great insight that's very helpful to people in a very important time of change. And so thank you so much, Tina. And and then tell us more about your practice. What is it that you do? What would be the things that you'd like our listeners to know that you do and how you can help them? Sure. So I'm a partner in Chicago at Nixon Peabody and the Litigation Group. And you know I do all the typical litigation things, trade secrets, breach of contract, but this area of ethics has is really sort of a passion project for me. And I have helped attorneys all across the country move, be they solo moves or be they moves in groups. You know, I've done situations where I have helped a group leave and form a new firm. So if anyone is in the market and thinking about maybe not just a move to another law firm, but if they're thinking about forming their own firm, if they're thinking about you know leaving for a whole host of reasons, anytime someone is an attorney and is thinking about leaving, it's something that I've probably seen before, be happy to help with. So that's just a little bit about, about my ethics practice and my professional uh, liability and responsibility practice. And I, I just want to say thanks for having me, Scott. It's been great to be here today. This is great. Thank you, Tina, for all of your wisdom. And also thanks for your involvement in the work you've done with the National Association of Legal Search Consultants. I know we've all benefited from that and appreciate that very much. And we're going to put all of your contact information on the show notes. Anybody that's listening here, make sure you go to the show notes where you're hearing the podcast and you'll be able to connect with Tina and follow her on LinkedIn. 
We'll also put our bio link and contact info there. Tina, thanks for being on the show. And I'm sure we'll have you back on here in the future. Sounds great, Scott. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.